This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. I mean, that's why I play to play these kind of games, to play to play under the pressure, to play uh, to play uh, tight games. You know, I think that's that's what every player's dream is. You know, to to perform or not to perform in, in those situations. You know. I think even if you don't perform in those situations, it's a, it's a still a lesson. Doesn't mean you're a bad player, you know. It's a just happen, happens to be like that. So I think I, I love to play under those uh, circumstances. Circumstances. So I think it's a great uh, for for young guys, especially. Nikola Jokic most certainly did uh, perform. The idea that well, maybe you don't. Well, he did. Twenty-five point sixteen boards, twelve assists. 40 minutes, a plus nine in that span of time. Big minutes as the Nuggets hold off the Milwaukee Bucks last night, 113 to 107. Sean Drotar, Sandy Clough on my left, Danny Bailey in the booth. The caller text line is 303-831-1340. We'll be with you for the next couple hours, and uh, we get to to run the gamut here. We'll be talking about local college basketball and high school basketball. Of course, uh, the Broncos, the uh, Colorado Buffalo's schedule is out. All sorts of stuff. And, of course, we'll start with the Denver Nuggets with that win. Uh, Ryan Blackburn will also join us in about an hour to break it down. Uh, Jokic was terrific. Jamal Murray, 35 points on 13-22 shooting. It's hard to get 35 points nowadays in a game with no three-pointers, but that's exactly what Murray did. And Nuggets only made four yeah, last night right. versus 16 for Milwaukee. And at 113 points. And still won the game yeah, by four six. to 16. That's one of those numbers in the, in the NBA when you generally look at who shot the better percentage and hit the most threes. You've broken that down before. Many times that's the difference of the game, and the Nuggets found a way to upend that even though they were on the wrong end uh, in both percentage and in total by well, a wide margin. The, the Nuggets got off more shots, and they shot the ball overall Quite a bit better, yeah, 48.4% to 42.9% within the, and within the arc. took 91 shots in the field to 84 for Milwaukee. Free throws about the same, 25 for the Bucks and 24 for the Nuggets. But the, the other very noticeable thing uh, that you got out of watching the game and just checking the box score, because Giannis is not known for his free throw shooting. Mm, no. But last one, night it was especially <laughs> bad because – in going six for 11, he accounted for five of the six misses by the Bucks last night from the line in a game they lost by six. And uh, Portis going two for 13 from the field, also a major factor uh, in this game. Because otherwise, Milwaukee shot a decent percentage, shot their free throws well, except for Portis going two for 13 and Giannis six for 11 from the free throw line. Uh very solid win for the Nuggets. It was more of a grind than I anticipated. I, I thought it'd be a track meet. I really did. I did too. But to to give Doc Rivers some credit in his debut as coach of the Milwaukee Bucks, he got them to play defense. They were switching. They were scrambling around. Yes, they got burned a few times, but giving up 113 points on the world champion's home court, you, you didn't lose the game because you were deficient defensively you lost the game because you didn't make free throws when you had to and you shot poorly overall from the field although weird game milwaukee shoots 41 percent from three-point range and makes almost as many threes as the nuggets take in the game bucks made 16 threes the nuggets only took 18 
from three-point land. And as you mentioned, Murray gets to 35 points without a single three-pointer, three but 13 field goals and nine out of 10 from the foul line. That's an efficient game for Murray in outplaying uh, Lillard. And I, I would say uh, up front, uh, as we described yesterday, uh, Giannis was very good defensively. And Jokic had just another ho-hum, triple-double ho-hum. evening at 25, 16, and 12. Yeah, obviously. With a, three steals and a couple of blocks. Tremendous, again, a tremendous game for, for Jokic. And that's, that's the other difference maker. You have the best player in the world in a Denver Nuggets uniform, with all due respect to, to Giannis, who's won two MVPs and justifiably so, because Jokic's game is more complete. And, and the idea before at least, is that Giannis can go off and occasionally, and some of the, we've seen huge scoring numbers at times this year, that Giannis is one of those guys that could be get a 60 in a game or something like that, and the idea is that Jokic could not. I'm not entirely convinced he couldn't, but Jokic doesn't need to because he just doesn't have those holes in his game, and, and his defense in particular this year, you talked about the three steals and two blocks, has, it was underrated before. He is not Bill Russell, don't get me wrong. It was underrated last year. He was at, at least an average to above average defender because you all sorts of take into the fact positioning and size. I think he's taken another leap forward defensively to now he is an above average defender and given his size and knowledge of the game, it's become more of a problem for teams as well. And I think you saw some of that last night. He's brilliant in the passing lanes. Uh, credit, I think, goes to a certain extent. Didn't play that many minutes. Aaron Gordon had a, an statistical night that wasn't all that impressive, but we know who he was tasked with guarding. And and I think that's important. And when you see Damian Lillard go five of 13 and Malik Beasley, two of nine, so a combined seven for 22, you have to give Murray and certainly Contavious Caldwell-Pope credit for those containment jobs. And Caldwell-Pope had 12 points of his own on five for nine shooting. He was well, efficient and I, effective I, too. The, the last time I checked uh, in terms of offensive rating. Uh, Milwaukee was first or second in the league. It's their defense that's held them back. And the reason the coach got fired wasn't because the Bucs couldn't score. It was because the Bucs couldn't defend. And it also had something to do with their going now, uh, including the game last night, only eight and seven in the month of January among the top eight teams in the league right now, the top four in the West, the top four in the East. Uh, eight and seven is the worst mark. Minnesota's at nine and seven, but Minnesota's had a much tougher schedule, more road games. Minnesota plus three for the month, and Milwaukee zero for the month. They're winning at home and losing on the road uh, at about the same pace, and that's been true for a couple of months. And that's really where you get a sense of separation, because seven of the eight teams last two months are essentially inseparable. Then you have Milwaukee that's gone overall 19-9 and but played a ton of home games. They're only plus two over the last two months. Minnesota plus eight, Denver plus six, OKC plus seven, Clippers plus seven, Boston plus seven, Philadelphia plus four, New York plus seven. You get the idea. People said it was odd, and I was one of those people. My initial reaction when Adrian Griffin got fired is they are 30 and 13, right? Aren't they? But 
they're 30 and 13 because they played a ton of home games. They're not very good on the road, and the record would be worse if they played more road games than they have. Last night, I got the feeling, now I haven't charted all their road games, but it seemed to be the sense after the game that though they lost, that was the best road game they had played in months last night, sticking as they did with the world champions. And I I don't really doubt that. Um, but, you know, to me, Steady wins the race. And there is not a steadier team month to month than the Denver Nuggets have been with the possible, and I say possible exception of the Boston Celtics. And guess what? The Nuggets are second in the West, and the Celtics are first in the East yeah. uh, by runaway margins. Yeah, the Nuggets made point. that leap, and we talked about how tight it was Nuggets yesterday. Nuggets are in second now. They had jumped all the way up to second, uh, behind the half game by Minnesota. Now it's tight. Uh, the Clippers are And Minnesota, by the way, had to win at Oklahoma mm-hmm. City for the Nuggets to be first. Would have gone from fourth to first. In one night. In one night. With one that's, win. That's how tight at it is. At home. That's how close it is. And it's not only close in the West. You have eight teams who are either surefire playoff teams or championship contenders. Then you have 22 other teams in a league that are just spinning their wheels. And five of those 22 are so bad that even as sports is constructed today, you cannot imagine any of those five terrible teams being any good for the next four or five years. It, you really it is can't. hard to imagine. You Even really the can't. excitement, you're talking about, you know, I, I, the Spurs, I guess, in Wembanyama, I get it. but you Okay, know. but he's playing brilliantly, right. I, I, albeit he, he in really limited is. minutes. But he's playing and brilliantly, 10 and, and they're 10 and 37. I, I, I mean, you, you just have to look at Detroit at 6 and 40, Washington at 9 and 37, Charlotte at 10. 10 and 35, San Antonio at 10 and 37, Portland at 14 and 33. And the only teams that any of these five tend to beat are one of the other four. That's about it. Yeah. On a given night. If they play one of the other four, they might get a win. I mean, Washington beat Detroit last night in Detroit after Detroit had clubbed Oklahoma City at home. Right. That was a rare deviation from the general practice of those five teams only beating one or two or three or all four sometimes of the other teams that are also terrible. You talk about the Nuggets defense. Uh, I'll give you a quote from Michael Malone here who wanted to illustrate that as well. Malone yeah. said specifically after the game, I'll give you some numbers that illustrate how good our defense was tonight. On the season, uh, they, meaning Milwaukee, averages 50% from the field. They shot 42 tonight. Right. On the season, that team averages 124 points, and tonight they had 107. Right. They averaged 50 in the paint. They had 26 tonight. It was Those almost as if numbers. Milwaukee had played maybe not three quarters last night on the way to 106. They're not quite averaging but you're, you're for right. the first three quarters. The Nuggets basically points, across but, the board chopped them down by about 20%. By, by Yes, about 20%. And, you know, you... Take 25% of the game is uh, from first quarter to second to third to fourth, and their point production was down uh, roughly 20% from the average. <laughs> not, not, not the high point right. totals that they've amassed, and many games this year they've gone over that average many times. Um, 
I I just was ve- I was very impressed with the Nuggets. Uh, n- not so much Saturday, but I, I didn't think it was possible necessarily without Embiid and Harris and Maxi for the Nuggets to look good on Saturday. Last night, Milwaukee had all its guys pretty yeah. much. Yeah. I mean, Middleton came back and right. played and played okay. Uh, they, they basically had their team last night. They did. They had and, their nine and, guys. And they had a new coach. They seemingly played with more grit, and the Nuggets still beat them because the Nuggets matched that, even spotting Milwaukee a 13-point lead in the first, what, eight minutes and change of the mm-hmm. game, yeah. 26-13. The Bucks certainly had. And then the Nuggets score 15 points in a yeah. row, and after that, the game is tight. Bucks had energy at the, at the beginning, but they weren't able to sustain Doc Rivers' debut there. The uh, Nuggets kept him from getting his 1,098th career regular season win, which would have tied him with former Nuggets coach Larry Brown, who is eighth on the all-time list with that 1,098. Michael Malone, in this game last night, wins his 400th, now trailing only George Carl with 423, and Doug Moe with that 432 that hangs in the rafters. And when you look at the the winning percentage, it is better than Doug Moe's, 584 for Malone, uh, 548 for Mo. It is behind George Carl's at 622. That's a hard one to match. But that of course, will be very hard to match. Malone leads all Nuggets coaches in history with 37 playoff wins, and he's the only one that ever led them to a championship, and the only one with a playoff record over 500, and the only one who had no Nikola Jokic. That too. Yes. That, that, that too. That's made a little bit of a difference. Uh, it most but, certainly has. But so has Malone. Uh, made a difference in the last. Uh, Especially I'd the say last two year and a half. Yeah. I'd say year and a yeah, half. The second that, yeah. half of last year, the playoffs, uh, so far this year, certainly in the wake of a championship, he's much more relaxed. Uh, he isn't uh, gritting his teeth after every single loss the way he once did. Uh, I think he's a better uh, bench coach uh, than he's ever been. Uh, there are only very very occasional nights when you look at the way he's deployed his personnel. We've done this for and a you're bit. Saying, and we boy, used to talk about uh, that. I, I'd scratch my head over a few mm-hmm. of those moves. I, I almost never find myself saying that anymore. No. And we, as you suggest, used to talk about it. The two of us, yes. especially two years ago, all the immediately time. after games, all the just, time, just, all, all the time, he has become substantially better. Even when they won, we talked about it. right, and, and and that's that's part of it too. Yeah, it's great to have Nikola Jokic, and it was you know you can go back and if you're Doug Moe, it was great to have Alex English and Fat Lever and Kiki Vandeweghe, and if you're George Carl, it was great to have Carmelo Anthony and Allen Iverson. I get it, you know, great players make great coaches, but they never had those three you mentioned at one time. The difference now is, even in an area of great movement, uh, freedom of movement for players, they've had Jokic, Murray, uh, Porter to an extent, even Gordon to an extent, uh, Caldwell Pope the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But they've had the same starting five for multiple years now playing together. And I I know Murray and Porter were hurt two years ago when they traded for Gordon. So Gordon didn't play with Murray or Porter until the beginning of last last year. But at the same time, those guys were on the team. They were around the team. They were they were practicing. That there is familiarity, and and that familiarity is a big part of the reason that this team has been successful. And I think that's 
One of the things to keep in mind when you're looking at this Nuggets team, and look, the, the Bucks have been very good too, and some of their core, Lillard's new, and, and obviously the coach is new, but yeah. some of their core has been there. Uh, obviously, you're talking about... Why did they about, fire Mike Budenholzer again? Yeah, right after, yeah. I don't uh, Can this, you remind me? Yeah, I, this has <laughs> happened for sure. Him. But you're looking at some of these scenarios. Well, and, and where... The, but the, but the, you're the right. Giannis and Middleton have been together a long time. Portis. Lopez has been part of that. Yeah, Portis has been part of it. They've been part of it. For a long time. Now, they did lose Drew Holiday, and I think that that's hurt them. Nothing against Lillard, but Holiday plays defense, and Lillard... Right. Really Lillard has to make that up with scoring. And when he has a bad shooting night like he did last night, uh, they run into these concerns. And Malone addressed that himself, saying after the game, when asked about that fourth win, he said it speaks to tremendous players. I mean, how lucky am I to be a coach? He gets to coach Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr., KCP, Aaron Gordon, and not just the guys who are here right now, but all along the way. And in the end, that's really what it is. Uh, Players make coaches, but coaches improve. Yes. Is with one, one franchise, and especially when Malone, I think in everyone's estimation, whatever you thought of him at that very early stage of his head coaching mm-hmm. career, was fired prematurely by the yes, Sacramento certainly. Kings. Yes, certainly. No, no one would debate that. I don't Seriously. think so, which means on his, in his career he has 539 career wins, puts him in the top 50 all-time among regular season victories, and uh, has an opportunity over the next year or two to really kind of rocket up that list given how good the Nuggets are expected to be, it would not be impossible to see him in the top 35 uh, as soon as, you know, maybe the tail end of next well, year. I mean, there's some leaps that you can start making. If he isn't among the top five coaches in the NBA, he's definitely among the top 10. And um, today, I'll have to go back be in and the top check. five today um, among active. I, I don't, I, I don't know. Um, how many guys have won championships? Uh, that are currently that, that active. Are currently active Popovich, as coaches. Obviously, uh, has five. Rivers now is uh, back. Kerr in has it. four. Spolstra has two. Rivers. Carlisle, Vogel, Malone, uh, Lou, Nurse. Yeah, that's eight, nine. Yep. And Rivers. And yeah. Well, yeah, I include yeah, Rivers. So, so I, I think I, I think you got nine out of thirty, which surprises me that there are that many. It's, it's of course unusual. it went up when Rivers was appointed from eight to nine, mm-hmm. but even eight out of thirty. That's that's a lot. It wasn't eight or nine two or three years ago. But I, and I I'm not think. knocking Doc Rivers. We talked about the, the numbers, but Doc Rivers in his career has a 590 winning percentage pretty good. in the regular season. Oh, well, that's that's pretty good. Michael Malone's is 555. Yeah. In the playoffs, Rivers is 516. Malone's 544. Well, and they each have one ring. You're you're right. Um, I'm not saying it's even at right. this point, but I'm saying I, I think what what you have, and I'm not I'm not saying continues Mal- to close. I think Malone's a better coach right now than Rivers is. I think Malone has more of an impact on the Nuggets winning than Rivers had in his most recent stops with the 76ers and with the Clippers. Mm-hmm. And with the Clippers, the, the Nugget domination of the Clippers began when Doc Rivers was head coach. Yeah, that's correct, and and. Little or nothing to do with Tyron Lue, who's the current coach, and a lot to do with Doc Rivers, who's the coach uh, with the Clippers before Tyron Lue. I, I, I'm I'm just saying, I I, I think you can quibble. I, to me, Spolstra is exceptional, uh, although even his Miami Heat have started to slump badly and now look like pretty much a 500 team, although in the East, uh, they're at least going to make the play-in tournament. But that's kind of where they were last year, too. And 
they turned it on in the playoffs. And I always admire that. The coaches who do better or at least about as well in the playoffs as they do during the regular season, uh, those are the great coaches. But to do real well in the playoffs, you usually have to win a championship. If you don't win a championship every year, you're losing the last series you play. And it isn't always four games to three either. We will get back to the Nuggets at the top of the hour with Ryan Blackburn, who will join us and take a look at the next game against the Oklahoma City Thunder. Another big one, but we'll skip from the pros. We'll skip college for a moment. We'll get back to them. And we'll go to high school where Colorado basketball had an opportunity to make a significant change. Not only did they choose not to do it, they resoundingly voted against it. Dan Mormon of ColoradoPreps.com will join us to break it all down next on My Life Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. You know, one of the cool things about working over here at Mile High Sports is there's, of course, a lot of things going on before the show or around the show. And sometimes you were talking about it in the office, and sometimes uh, people who know what they're talking about are sitting in the office and are willing to pop on with us like Dan Mormon here. The, up, guys? The, hey, yeah, good to talk to Dan. Dan Mormon on Twitter, M-O-H-R-M-A-N-N, from Colorado Preps. And, and, and Dan, this was an interesting choice by Chassa. The idea, and, and I know this has been in the works for a while, where Colorado basketball was, about, was trying to be the 28th state to adopt a shot clock. In this case, the shot clock for high school basketball would be 35 seconds. Mm-hmm. It not only went down, it went down in flames. Not even close. And it was more like two thirds against it rather than the two thirds required to vote for it. Right. Is and this then, purely financial and logistics or is there some other part of it? That's I think that's the main part of it. And when I when I talk to athletic directors about the whole thing, and this is something that's been people have been wanting a shot clock in high school basketball in Colorado for years before right. the NFHS even even came in and said, "Okay, we're going to let you guys do it at your own uh, disclo- or at, at your own choice." Uh, Colorado was a 100% NFHS state, so yeah. um, as the NFHS goes, that's how Colorado goes. They said, "If your st- state association wants to put it in a shot clock, put it in a shot clock." Ever since then, there's been this outcry that it needs to be done, and what the what the main problem is is that logistically, in the financial standpoint, a lot of these schools are going to struggle to find the money to put in a shot clock that needs to operate at the level that is required by high school athletics. And not just the cost of the hardware, but the cost of having a shot clock operator for every game from here on out. Okay. So you're looking at schools typically pay about $20 an hour for an operator. Chassa wanted uh, the, the Chassa board of directors recommended the implementation at every level of the sport. So if you have a C team, they want it at your C team games, JV, and then of course varsity. Twenty dollars an hour, you're pretty much budgeting two hours for a game, for three games a night, 
and that's without doing a a boys girls doubleheader, which a lot of these small schools do. Mm-hmm. So now you're doubling that cost all in one day, and it's I don't think it had little to do with basketball. Little to nothing to do with basketball, right? And and that's what people don't understand. A lot of the outcry, a lot of the the responses that I got on Twitter, a lot of the responses that the Colorado Preps account gets on Twitter when I post, you know, the quick hit story is, well, this is causing a delay in the development of high school basketball players in Colorado. Which Nobody one, disputes what, that. I don't necessarily agree no, no, with it. Nobody disputes that, l- that the shot clock would help in player development. Right. Nobody it, says it would hurt. Right. But they don't understand the reason that it just can't go in as the proposal was laid out today. That's the part that people are having problem with. They think that because it got voted down today that it's never going to happen. That's not the case. The basketball committee meeting is next week. They have to submit their um, their annual committee report again to the legislative council. It'll and, get voted on in April, right? And and if if they decide they want to do this, they have to figure out a way to do it so that the big schools can be happy because they the bigger schools are the schools that are pushing the hardest the, for it. The Cherry Creeks of the world. The ones that can afford, can afford these, it. these additional yeah. costs. And I get it. Some people look at it and say, you were talking about $20 an hour here and there. Yeah. How many? But it's it's high school athletics. A lot of this is coming from from donors. And if you're a tiny yeah. school, now all of a sudden you have to budget a couple extra hundred bucks a week. That actually makes a difference. Not maybe not to Cherry well, Creek and, or and, Valor, but it makes yeah. a difference to a lot of schools. Well, and finding the personnel. It was actually funny. Uh, That's during, true. During, find, during a break of the meeting, my, my friend Marcus Hill. Skilled he, shot clock operators. Right. He, yeah. he, he, lives, uh, he writes for the Gazette down in Colorado Springs. Right. Marcus and I have been buddies for years, and he looks at me and he says, have you ever been to Cotopaxi? And I said, well, I've been through it, and I almost missed it because I blinked. Right. That's how small that town is. He said, there's more people sitting in the first two rows of this gallery than there are that live in Cotopaxi. Where are they going to find someone to operate a shot clock? Because it's all hands on deck for a high school athletic event as is, right? And there's talk of, can you do it in the bigger classifications, not the smaller classifications? Right. In theory, you could, but you have a lot of mixed leagues in or uh, mixed classification leagues in this state. Right. So what happens if you go 6A, 5A, 4A, but you have a 4A, 3A league? Who's, <laughs> which rules do? are, you, are right. you going by? So there are logistical questions that have to be answered before this really goes ahead. My guess, and this tried to come up again at Legislative Council today, uh, Chaparral Athletic Director Rob Johnson yeah. stood up and, right. and, and said, hey, let's, you know, let's propose an amendment to make it varsity only. The problem with doing it on the spot at Legislative Council at that moment is that has to be a two-thirds vote. Because it has to go to legislative council, I, b- I believe it's 90 days before, in order to make it a simple majority vote. That's why you want to put it in the committee report. And so when that vote came out, it actually went further the other way. It went more to the no side. And right. I think the and the re- again the reason is not because people that are was anti- 47 22. And the other was forty three twenty eight. Right. So they lost and, six votes. And the reason <laughs> for that is the legislative council members want to take that idea they want to communicate with the schools in their leagues and they want to have a more measured idea of what they're doing moving forward it wasn't a reflection of of everyone's belief in the shot clock it was a reflection of we're not doing anything here today until we have the blessing of the people that we represent it's weird it almost sounds like that's how government should work 
I don't have a problem with either argument on this. That that's that's a you know on talk radio we're supposed to have strict positions and the other side is terribly wrong and has no real basis for stating their position in the, in this case how do you tell rob johnson he's wrong and turn around and say to oh i don't know uh, travis steiner travis steiner representing the patriot league among those who voted no and he says the financial numbers that we're getting don't correspond with the financial numbers we're projecting. Right, and throwing this. and throwing out an on-the-spot suggestion of, well, let's have it be varsity only. You still have to run those numbers, and there's still, you know, you can't take a 15-minute break in the middle of this meeting and consult with your district and the teams in your <laughs> league and all that and come to a consensus on it. I mean, so they why, why actually this want get, public consensus. Yeah, why did this well, get brought up at this point? It seems like it was sort of half-baked. Why? Why the, even bring the it up? Yeah, why even bring yeah. it up right now? It was. It was a put. Um, I, I shouldn't say a push. The board of directors, the Chassel board of directors, um, which is different than the legislative council. This is more of like the legislative council can almost be described as the House of Representatives, and the the board of directors would be the right. Senate. There's fewer members. They represent right. larger areas. Um, they uh, they recommended the implementation of a shot clock at all levels for both boys and girls starting in 20 uh 2026 2027 and so when they when they recommend that they then put the the vote to the legislative council because that is that makes up the bulk of the member schools that's the the voting population of the member schools so it was through surveys feedback discussion forums all that is why the board of directors ended up recommending the implementation and then I think people went back and looked at the drawing board and people that were behind it in theory all of a sudden started looking at the cost and what was going to have to happen within their schools and their buildings. And they have to, you know, they have to be accountable to their principals and superintendents and boards, boards of education. And all of a sudden that's a much tougher thing to say yes to than it is just, you know, Asking a hypothetical, Sandy, you want to go play golf in the mountains this weekend? Well, sure, that mm-hmm. sounds great. Yeah. It might be 20 and snowy on Saturday when yeah. you actually want to go. Sure. So it I, makes it a little bit harder. I understand that, but obviously somebody didn't count the votes because they expected this would pass. Yeah. They expected this would pass, and it went down by roughly the numbers that they expected to have on their side. So I mean, maybe I mean, you need somebody with a little more legislative expertise to count the votes right well what's funny and I, I recorded a podcast with assistant commissioner mike book right after and i'm going to try and get that published in the next day or two um and he had he had some really good thoughts they uh 60 in terms of they they sent out a yeah, survey to all right. the all the member schools 60 percent roughly said yes and then because the, the concept makes sense of course and right, right. About the concept who's opposed to a shot clock nobody's opposed to a shot clock at least in, in concept for the players but yeah, that's not really almost what we're talking about. Right. And so you get that 60%. Then as you get closer, and I started hearing whispers that it was going to be a close vote. And <laughs> and I Even those whispers weren't right though. Well, and it and, wasn't close. So right before there was a 15 minute break in the meeting and I walked up and um Al Mello, who's the athletic director yeah. down at Harrison High School in um Colorado Springs, Al walks up to me and he says, this is going down in flames. Just watch. <laughs> he was and I right. looked at him and I said, well, what do you mean? I was like, it's, 
it's going to be close, Al. I think it passes. And he says, not at all three levels. He's like, watch, this is going to be a spectacular failure. And I, I was sitting next to another uh, athletic director at Buena Vista, Adam Bright, who's a friend of mine. And, I mean, Adam and I had to have the exact same react. Our eyes bugged out of our head. And we were just stunned at the result. How ma- I mean, you know, we put this together over Mile High Sports. We always have a, a preps issue every single year. And, and you look at Colorado high schools. I mean, how many are there in Colorado? The, for basketball, well, for there's basketball. 367 member schools, give or take. Right, right, including junior highs and everything else, right? Just, just high schools. Yeah, oh, just, oh, high just, school. high just high schools. Okay, so three. I mean, three hundred sixty-seven, right? And let, let's uh, just, that's about like. Let's just do some about D one. So let's think about D1. just some basic math, right? Because one of the things to also consider we're thinking about shot clocks, and maybe you're thinking maybe you grew up with a little box on the table, and that's good enough. No, the the National Federation of High Schools at uh, the NFHS, what you're talking mm-hmm. about, that also requires those LEDs to be around the backboard. Right. It, they have to all sync. So l- let's say, for example, it's. $4,000 per school to implement. And the schools indicated that's that's less, right? I mean that that's probably a too low an estimate. Right. But let's say let's say it's let's four just for the sake of argument. Okay, now we're talking about an amount four teams per school on average, JV and varsity boys and girls, knowing that there could be even, you know, there's middle schools and everything else. So hypothetically, let's multiply that by four, knowing this number is well, low. Well, but you're only installing one shot clock. Right. Right. So well, it, it, that's that's not entirely. You can you can install two. You have so, the auxiliary so, gym, right? So if you if you're a, a smaller school that does boy girl, but let's say it's headers. even one. We're talking around across the state, one and a half million dollars that needs to be put together here to make this work across the board, and that number's considered low. Mm-hmm. So I mean, when you're talking about the total amount of money in there, that's what we're talking about. Just to put in shot clocks, million and a half to start the discussion. And so that's why when schools look at this, they're like, "Ooh, hang on a minute. This isn't something that regular high schools can start pitching in that kind of money together. Right. And you're talking about the state that, and I just, I honestly looked it up a little while ago, is 40th in the country when it turns to educational funding, like, per head. I'm surprised it's that high because I heard it was lower a few years ago. Well, man, 40th 40th was what I just looked. 40 is not good. It's not good. good. And and, and that's where I laugh at the Twitter responses that I see that, you know, well, Kansas and Nebraska have it. Well, their schools are funded differently than they are in Colorado. And I'm not saying that they're – I don't know what those are. And and so I'm not trying to say that they're funded better or, you know, for all all we know, they went out and fundraised and and got every nickel for a shot clock that way. But it's, it's a tough draw with what you're asking schools to do. And that's on top of the fact that Colorado's different from those states from the standpoint of we don't get to drive on a flat interstate from point A to right. point B when you're traveling. You have to go over mountain passes. There are high schools with hockey teams that aren't, aren't happening in Nebraska. Durango's travel budget, just their travel budget for their high school teams, is in the millions. Wow. And where do you think that that money doesn't just appear? Uh, you're not probably getting that in ticket sales. Let's, no. <laughs> so, yeah. Hardly. I mean, that's, 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 that's a very complicated process, but... You do think it'll come back in April in some? I think varsity only. Varsity form. Okay. I think varsity only yeah. is going to be the start. I think that it has a better chance of passing then. Even then, I don't know. Yeah. At this point, I don't as know. You, as you pointed out, close. You still that have to just close. put in a shot clock. You still have to install, and you still, install and you still have, and you still have to pay your workers. So yeah. Someone to handle it. So the installation cost is more or less the same. Now it's about right. paying the extra official right. to run it. Right. It's complicated, and and the the. Colorado high school sports scene is fascinating because Sandy and I are going to talk about it later, and we have been. College basketball in Colorado, locally, 
may be on the verge, and last weekend was pretty bad, but I mean, it's not that far of a stretch that here we are a couple days from February with a possibility of CU, CSU, DU, all making the 64 tournament. The CU women are ranked third in the country. Mm -hmm. And and obviously you want your local prep hoopers to be able to have every advantage to be able to get looked at by other universities across the country and about... Fewer than half the states do not have it. Colorado's one. About half the states do. But does does this, in a lot of minds across the country, does this actually hamper the students? See, and th- and that's where I struggle. I I don't I don't really think it does. I don't. I haven't. I've watched two really good high school basketball games in the last couple weeks: Palmer against Mesa Ridge, and Thunder Ridge Rock Canyon, which is top five of the highest classification. At no point. In either of those games, did I think these kids are being hampered by a lack of a shot clock? And my enjoyment. Well, they're of those... shooting under thirty-five seconds. The good teams are anyway. And right. And even if they're not, they're not stalling. No, they're not. It's not the it's stereotypical. Not four no. no, it's Rock Canyon is a great example because Kent Graham's their coach. He likes his kids to run that system until they get a shot that they like. And you know what? If he can wear a defense down to where that defense gets bored, good on him. I don't necessarily think you need to get that out of the game. Now, is it hurting the Colorado kids? I don't know. Joel Scott doesn't seem to be affected by not having a shot clock in high school. Nick Clifford doesn't seem to be no. have been affected no. by not Good having point. a shot clock. Kendall Weta at CU doesn't seem to have been affected by not having a shot clock Asana in high school. Jop, uh, now up in Boulder. Another, right. Yeah. yeah. Well, he played one year, but again, mm-hmm. he won a yeah. state title. Right. Yeah. He He wasn't affected. Uh, Julian Hammond, Luke right. O'Brien. Sure. I can go through sure. and like sure. none of these kids have their development hasn't been hampered because they didn't have a shot clock in high school. So I think a shot clock is more of a want than a need. I'm okay if it goes in. I really am. But I'm not the strongest advocate for it because I think, and this is probably another segment altogether, there are bigger problems that need to be solved when it comes to high school athletics and even basketball specifically. Probably so. You want to make sure you follow Dan and everything at Colorado Preps. If you're not familiar with coloradopreps.com, you need to be. They also have a free app, easy to find, and you can keep track of everything there on the app as well. So go check that out wherever you get your apps. Colorado Preps is the site. Dan Mormon is the man. Dan Mormon, M-O-H-R-M-A-N-N is the There's two ends in Mormon, boys. Yeah, two in in this particular version of Mormon. (laughs) Exactly right. Dan, thanks so much for dropping in with us and and explaining this. You betcha, guys. Thanks, Dan. All right, appreciate it. Dan Mormon, everybody, check out the coloradopreps.com website and the app. We will move over to college football where the Colorado Buffaloes have their schedule ready. The schedule for their first in the pack, uh, pardon me, the Big 12 which now does not have 12, but none of the conferences have what they say they have, so it doesn't matter anyway. We'll break it down with you next on My Life Sports. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Let's drop! 
This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Yeah, it's a while till football season, but at the same time, the Colorado Buffaloes schedule for uh, Deion Sanders' second season with the Buffs uh, will has been released. And uh, obviously, when you look at the way th- things will change in the new conference, and, and you've talked about this, Sandy, that this is a very good conference. Obviously, they're, they're all good conferences now because they're all super conferences, for lack of a better term. But it's not quite as deep a conference as you saw in the Pac-12 for football this, this year for no. football for basketball. No. It's for basketball, it's an extraordinary leap. Yeah, and uh, we'll we'll go through real quick. But the uh, opening schedule for the Buffs Week One, they will take on North Dakota State, of course, constantly one of the the better uh, next division yep. teams uh, on oh, August thirty no first. FCS uh, North Dakota State is uh, well regarded, and yes, that's an August opener. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're getting the you get the early looks, but the the week zero, if they're going to still call it that, uh, then they will go on the road for two very interesting ones. They did they go to Nebraska, obviously the the home and home that was scheduled for this year. Uh, I imagine that um, Matt Rule would like a little bit of revenge. We'll see how that shakes out in there. Might uh, have that court. in mind. Yeah, and now Colorado State maybe looking at the same thing. Week same three. Thing. Now that that time that'll be up in Canvas, up in Fort Collins, where that was an overtime game, the most watched game in the history of. Uh, ESPN evening football. Yes. Then they will come back home against Baylor as their new conference schedule starts. And yes, boy, you talk about conference schedule. Um, then you go to UCF. That's right. They're in the conference. These conferences do not mean anything uh, regionally anymore. Everybody no, no. <laughs> home against K state, go to Arizona in week seven, back home against Cincinnati on to Texas tech home against Utah on the road to Kansas. And they will finish up at home against Oklahoma State, unless, of course, they find themselves in the Big 12 championship, which would be December 7th. But for for the Buffaloes who are trying to make a, a leap forward in that second season under Deion Sanders, the transfer portal's been very good to them once again. Shadur Sanders will be back. Uh, Travis Hunter, uh, not only the terrific two-way player, but All-American academic team as well, uh, will be back and presumably better than ever. And now they're bringing... Uh, Jordan Seaton, the best overall tackle prospect in the country. This team kind of crash landed at the end of the year, but they did exceed expectations, at least with the, the, the folks in Vegas and all the people that had the over slightly, slightly, slightly exceeded expectations. And let's face it. It was disappointing. It was start three and zero, and then finish last Absolutely. in the Pac-12. It that, was. It was very disappointing and losing eight out of nine games was no fun. Uh, one game uh, they they should have won was the Stanford game here that they led by 29 points in the third quarter and found a way to lose. But, uh, you know, all, all things considered, I think with the change of conference, there's a more realistic expectation that they might be able to get to six wins in 2024 and get back into the bowl picture this next year. I don't think that's an outrageous projection uh, to make if you assume that uh, they will be improved uh, in most of the areas where they were weakest and that the strengths will continue to be the strengths. And Shadur Sanders and Travis Hunter 
on really both sides of the ball in Hunter's case, right, uh, represent a considerable strength. There aren't many Travis Hunters out there. Uh, there are, are certainly not. He's, I think, if he can stay healthy, which he wasn't entirely in 2023, not entirely, he's a legitimate yeah. Heisman candidate. I agree, and I think, I think when you more look so at that, than Shadour, with all due yes. respect, and I think when you have. The year he had, where I think he got on the radar, and the injuries were a problem, but the, the Buffs visibility nationally, the interest in Hunter as a two-way player, yeah. sometimes you get that build-up the year before, and I actually expect him to be in everybody's preseason Heisman watch list, quite frankly. I oh, think I Hunter think will so. be there. He should be. Almost he, across he the board. Be. And the, the opener last year at TCU uh, remains one of the great athletic feats I've ever seen to play in that heat humidity. Plus uh, and and play 130 snaps, mind-boggling. And he was as fresh at the end of the game as he was at the beginning. Over on Fox Sports, Deion Sanders had an opportunity to talk with uh, Skip Ellis and Keyshawn Johnson about the idea of, uh, that always seems to be surrounding Deion Sanders, you know, where's his next gig, right? That's always the thing that comes up. Where's the next gig? Well, we've already thrown a little cold water on that because at a certain point, the way the season ended, I think, cooled that quite a bit. Right. The... Buffs probably have to go to a bowl game before he becomes a hot topic again. And we've also talked about this. Sanders does value loyalty. Only Cincinnati, now in the same conference, and the Buffs gave him legitimate looks. Only the Buffs were willing to give him the pool to pay the assistance and basically handed over total control of the program. Right. It was not a good program when he inherited it. Okay? That's the nice way to say it. And it is still not a good program yet but it is a relevant program sanders had an opportunity to address that potential future how many times this past season meaning from let's say december to today your phone rung about you potentially going to other opportunities <laughs> to coach how many times <laughs> couple times couple times couple times but i'm happy where i am as you see if i'm out there um, home shopping with the, with my kid, that means I don't plan on going anywhere. No. I got a kickstand down. I'm no. straight. I mean, I'm straight. I, I love this fan base. I love, I'm looking out the window right now, these snow-covered mountains. I love, I've been snowmobiling the last two weekends. It's key. That's something that a Florida boy ain't never done in his life. <laughs> so, absolutely love it. I mean, Skip, I even got on one of those lift things, man. I had to get in the one that was enclosed because I was not about to get in the one that you're hanging outside. No. But I got in the lift. I mean, loving life right now. My kids are uh, snowboarding. Shallow is. Shador, I'm telling him to take it easy, but he went out snowmobiling with a couple of his linemen. So we're doing things that we have would have never fathomed, man, and I'm happy about it. But I love me some Colorado. Wow. Like, I'm going to give my boy, Mr. Uric Brett, uh, my commissioner, he told me this, but I took it after the third time. I don't inherit a legacy. I build it. Mm. Okay? Beautiful. Yeah, I'm not that kind of guy that's going to run off to somebody else's school and, and inherit an already winning team and they just two, three games away. No, no, no. I inherited some bull junk and I'm going to fix it. You did. That, to more than anything, if Sanders is interested in creating a legacy as a head coach, that's the difference. If you take a Colorado program that had fallen into irrelevance, now he's made it relevant. Next step, you make it good and consistently good for a couple of years. And that mean would be by the end of maybe his existing contract. Then if you're Deion Sanders, okay, now you can kind of do what you want. But I think even he understands well, well, whether to punch his next ticket, whether there's work to be done. you're intending to do this or not, 
I think you just made a brilliant statement. Well, then I intended it. That you get, (laughs) again, in our society today, the assumption is once you become relevant, that means, by definition, you're also good. Right. And we found out last year that being relevant and being good at the same time is not a given. It's not even altogether possible, I don't think. I mean, there's something north of no chance that relevance and high-quality play on the field intersect. Uh, It's more than zero percent, but it isn't. 50%, 75%, 50%, 75%, or even close to either of those figures. And I think relevance got confused with being good. Yes, yes. Especially when they began the season 3-0, and and they were at the height of their relevance. And it turned out, in terms of their competitive standing, that was also the high point. They didn't necessarily, at least over the following month, let's say October, become less relevant really they just were exposed as not being quite ready for prime time yet. right pun not intended i presume but yes the the challenge there for in a competitive yeah. sense not in ready a, for in prime a competitive time. sense in a relevant sense very much ready for prime time and then the the, the funny part about that is it's a double-edged sword now you're getting seen now last year it was a curiosity and it was fun but now I think Deion Sanders knows. I think the university knows. Now you're going to get the same, more or less the same attention. It's not going to go down that much, but the expectations are this time around. You better be good. Well, especially with Oklahoma and Texas leaving the Big Twelve. Right. So it will be a fascinating season. Obviously, we'll pay attention to that as the off season goes along too. It will be. A, it's going to be something to watch. I mean, you know, here it is, January thirtieth. Uh, don't expect Coach Prime to go away anytime. Remember this time last year he was making waves at the NFL honors. <laughs> he was doing everything, all that other stuff. He's not going away. It'll be fun to pay attention to that in the offseason as well. The Denver Nuggets are in an outstanding place, just missed by a, a smidge being back at top of the West. They will have an opportunity to follow up their win against the Bucks with one against the Oklahoma City Thunder. We'll take a look at that and the rise of one particular Denver Nugget. You might have been realizing how important he's become to the team. We'll do that with My Life Sports' Ryan Blackburn next. Well, and you break out. 